Cheers. Micah, did any of them did any of them say ta at all while you were there? No, it was a lot of cheers. Cheers. Welcome to Friday. Got to get down. <laughs> Got to get, get down, down on Friday. You want to be where everybody knows your name. You do. Get down. And that is where you are. Micah is back. Micah, welcome back stateside. Thank you. It's good uh, to have returned to the great state of New York. Everybody on this podcast knows your name right now, Micah. It's two of us. And they're always me. glad I came, right? <laughs> I'm super glad you came. Yeah, I'm man. I'm glad that you made it tonight to uh, record. Right now we're uh, Game of Bones. Uh, it's a podcast, if you forgot, just in case. And uh, you're listening on a day that could be Friday, unless you are slow to the punch. Then you could be listening on another day. You could have been busy, too. You could be listening on a hump day. Micah, did you see any camels while you were in Manchester? I did not see any camels uh, when I was in Manchester. I had to ask because there was this photo that you sent us uh, warning us of pending camel threats. Yeah, well, there there was a sign not too far from the hotel that I was staying at uh, that I just had to take a picture of because uh, it says humps next 70 yards. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure uh, what that means because in, in the problem. United States, it could mean something completely different than what it means over in the UK. <laughs> Secret sign of a brothel is what it is. Yeah, I, I was going to say, is that away. like the secret red light district of Manchester, or or do they mean like speed bumps? Which did you know you can purchase those online? It's true. If you head on over to no, we're going to leave that out. Humps oh, okay. and sexy music com. rats. <laughs> yeah, it's it was a cool trip. Uh, saw some basketball. Did a lot of work. Also went to a soccer game known as football over there. As oh our, no! Uh, wow, British and most of our european listeners will uh try and correct me if i refer to it as soccer so but but i did wanted to say though uh you know i i did get a chance to listen to the 150th episode and uh, just wanted to congratulate you guys and doing a great job sorry i was unable to be there you were there in spirit yes i was and you were there for some of the episodes leading up to 150 so for that we thank you some of them. yes mike is my spirit animal so he was there in spirit <laughs> I'm I'm so sorry, guys. You know, the only thing that can cure my headache is the own uh, Greyjoy. Oh, God. The own Greyjoy. The own Greyjoy. Uh, I am so thrilled. I can't believe I came back for this. Right? <laughs> you come back in the first episode of the Theon chapter. It's good to have you, though, even though we are, I, I want to say sailing into a Theon chapter, because I like those present progressive verbs, sailing into yeah. a chapter. But it's, right. it's fitting for this, because they sailed before they arrived at the stony shore. It's true. Well, well, these men, these men apparently can get blood drunk. Well, Sir Todrick uh, was ale drunk, and we all know how that turned out. But evidently, some of Theon's men from the Iron Islands can get blood drunk uh, with rage and... I guess they're all in a in a pillaging, raping mood um, as Theon continues his father-appointed uh, quest to sack some villages. It's true. He's successfully taken the sea bitch to a shore that is stony, and his men have successfully disembarked from their vessel. It's a successful uh, mission for Theon so far, wouldn't you agree? Indeed. Yeah, he's uh, he's starting his quest here to what we learn on later in the chapter— or at least can infer later on in the chapter to ultimately take Winterfell. I, I liked uh, just reading his thought process throughout all of this, especially during his conversation with with Clefjaw when he's trying to win him over. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, Brilliant. I love that. Yeah, I mean, not to jump around the chapter, but it was a very short chapter. It was only a couple pages long. Uh, and uh, But you really got to see his thought process throughout, and, and, and not just with Clefjaw, but also with how he was feeling internally about some of the things that he was doing. I mean, I wrote down that he referenced a number of times that there's there's a lot of reminders about him not liking the taste of what he's doing. Mm. And I wonder if that shows a certain element to his character that we maybe necessarily haven't seen before. You know, maybe he's feeling a little bit guilty about what he's doing. I was just relieved that he didn't do anything overwhelmingly offensive in this chapter that I would then have to get on this podcast and defend. <laughs> it was, it was pretty, uh, calm, you know, pretty tame for, for Theon. And, and, and really like we were talking about Clefjaw, what a character to describe and, you know, injured as a child. Uh, he's got four lips instead of two and the beard won't grow over his injury and all this stuff, like absolutely brilliant writing, um, you know, on the part of George and the fact that this man is just like Theon, you know, not being used, you know, to his full potential on this mission, uh, allows Theon to, you know, kind of, he sees an in, in, in order to do what he wants to do, which is to get all the glory, uh, by, you know, taking an opportunity that he knows from being in the North for so long. And glory resonates so much in this chapter. I mean, we, we begin the chapter essentially with um, the first line is Rob will gut you gray joy. Benford Tallhart. He is obviously not in his most preferred position with someone (laughs) that he kind of looked down on, I guess his whole life in a way, Theon now leading this ragtag bunch of murderers and rapers in through where they're held. This was a rough chapter for a lot of the people that we like. But since we're seeing it from Theon's perspective, it's really casual for us, you know, because they've obviously won. Agreed. Totally agreed. And, and you know, Benfred uh, calls Theon turncoat and craven and spits on him and, and all this stuff. He's feeling all these emotions that we don't necessarily feel yet because we don't see, you know, it hasn't connected with us necessarily that these are Ned Stark's bannermen and that, that Theon is killing or capturing or, you know, it's just, he's, he's, he's betrayed everyone in the North essentially who raised him. Um, and, and that's just something that's kind of, as you say, it's casual in the, in this chapter, but those words hurt, you know, those words are powerful. And I think Theon is, is very quickly going down a path that it'll be difficult to come back from. Yeah, this was definitely the turning point, I feel, for me, because we, he's talked about it, and we've we've been with him inside of his mind at the Iron Islands where this plan in his mind was hatching, where he was like, okay, well, I am going to fight with my people. My people will rise. You know, my father, I will pay for things with the iron price, you know? <laughs> yeah. But now he's actually, you know, in the in the midst of all of this, and um, it's – it's going well. I mean, all things considered, it's going pretty well for him. I, I mean, after the end of this conversation, and they had planned to originally question Benford Tallhart, which was uh, didn't really work because, uh, like I said, he kind of just was just like, listen, Theon, I'm not telling you shit. You're a dick. He literally at one point goes, fuck your questions, which was <laughs> one of the first dialogue pieces, which set a good tone for the chapter. And uh, they need to kill him. It's time for this man to die because he's not on their side. Gosh, but Uncle Aaron... You know, if he had his way, they would be what, – what's the way – the old way to kill a man uh, if you are 
from the Iron Islands is to drown them. Essentially, they were deciding who would be the person to carry out this killing. And they all suggested, Theon, you should do it because you're the head of all of this and this is what you should do. And he's like, no, no, you're the priest. If you're going to do it, you, you're the one to honor the gods with this murder. You please do it. So they end up doing it the old way, which, um, for me, I don't know why it shocked me so much, why it bothered me so much, but if you really think about it, it kind of sucks. Like, yeah. really, really badly. This is what it said up in the book. It says, that was more than that the young could stomach. It says, you are the priest, uncle. I leave the god to you. Do me the same kindness and leave the battles to me. He waved his hand. Anyway, so Whirlag and Stig began to drag their captive off toward the shore. Aaron Dampere gave his nephew a reproachful look, then followed. Down to the pebbled beach they would go to drown Benfred Tallheart in salt water the old way. I'd like to know what their new way is. Well, I mean, the old way. I mean, you know what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's for the god, too. And there's this religious aspect where I think it's said early on, and this is one of the cool things about this chapter, is that basically all the men who are following Theon believe more in their god, the drowned god, than they do in him as a leader. And so he has to figure out how to kind of play both sides, but appease this God. That's what Aaron says is you have to drown this guy in the old way. He spit on you. He spits on all of us. And that's not okay. You need to kill him for the drowned God. You need to kind of make your, your, your sacrifice or make your penance with, with the drowned God. And so, I mean, just drowning somebody though, to getting back to that is very terrifying. The thought of being drowned. And I was thinking, I was really trying to compare it to different fates of other characters um, obviously beheading is the quickest death. Um, but even drowning is over in, you know, 30 seconds a minute, perhaps. I was trying to think of like who had had a worse style of death than drowning. And, and currently, um, Theon's own torture seems to be quite a bit worse than what I would, how I would equate drowning. What do you guys think? He even notes though that he thinks that Tallheart is better off because Stig is anything but an expert headsman, right? right. And that, headsman, that's a good name. This whole scene, though, really reminded me of what happens to Roderick Cassell. Yes, I was literally thinking that. During the, uh, was it season two, I guess? Well, the first part where Tallheart is kind of, you know, being held back and he's spitting in Theon's face and... There's that whole exchange that goes on between the two of them, and he calls him a turn cloak. Uh, but then also, you know, referring to how Stig is not an expert headsman, and really neither is Theon, because it takes him two hacks to get Roderick's head off in, right. in the show. So I think they took a little bit of liberty here, including some of these elements into the TV show. Uh, but not exactly with the same characters. Mm. Right. And it allows a little bit of backstory on Theon. Not much, but George is, to me, doing his best to really paint as much personality as he can into this chapter with Theon with the good parts where he doesn't like a lot of the bad stuff they're doing. He's saying, I don't like this looting the dead corpses. Ned would have never liked that. But then he's like, the the you know, the devil on his shoulder that doesn't look like Ned is like, but who cares? Ned is dead. And then the angel's looking like Ned and he's like, oh, but that's not the honorable thing to do. And, you know, he decides that even though the guy has a really, really thick neck that he used to make fun oh. of him for. Oh. There it is, though. That's that part of Theon that, that George is painting. He's saying, you know, Theon looked at this guy and kind of almost ironically always, you know, he made fun of him for being this big guy with such a big, thick neck. But now in this case, he's like, well, that would be a bitch to cut through. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 
that ties into what I was saying before about how there's these reminders about him not liking the taste of what he's doing. And, right. and he even references the fact that it's not as sweet as the whispering wood, you know, when they caught Jamie Lannister. It just goes to show you that there is some sense of decency for the times that he does come across as a douchebag in this chapter. There is something about him internally that is kind of in conflict here with what he's doing. Well, that's the thing about Theon, and I think Eric has always defended it from day one, that he has a good person inside of him. Most of the terrible things that he's quoted doing in the book or in the show, these are things that he's done motivated by the desire to be more than he's always been considered to impress his father because um, Asha has always been there since day one, but Theon's been gone. So he really wants to prove himself. And even in this chapter with when he's talking about what happened to Todrick, he's like, he kind of chimes in like, Oh, I killed him because he got too drunk and he was disorderly. Yeah. You know? Take that. I don't accept yeah. that. Yeah. Or, yeah he's but he gets drunk this. in the yeah. yeah, but he he didn't. Yeah, he kind of, and he didn't even want to kill him. Really, he wanted to uh, shoot his hand. Um, actually, he was going for his hand, and then Tadric got pushed or shoved. I think it was by Pike or whatever, and and he took an arrow in the belly. This really was a brutal chapter, though. I mean, we're talking about how terribly Benford Tallhart died in the in the waters, but all of the women that were there, the ones that were young enough and pretty enough, were all taken for salt wives, and the rest and, of them, the old ones, the Cravens, they were just raped and then eventually killed. So these people, you know, like we're, like I said, we're getting it from the perspective of Theon. So it's calm and 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 it's good for us because he's winning, and that's our perspective of the chapter. But right. It's a, it's a double entendre, I guess, in a way. It's totally mixed in, and we're supposed to draw whatever conclusion we want to, but I don't defend Theon because he makes bad choices, and he is against some of the people that I think are right. But in his mind, you know, he is a Greyjoy. This is what he is supposed to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a character, he's just – I think I've made this reference before. He's, he's just kind of an adolescent. You know, he wants his father's approval. He's fairly reckless about how he's going to get it. Um, he thinks he's cleverer than he is. He acts, you know, very, very cocky, arrogant, that sort of thing. But ultimately, as like a character study, some of the things he says, you just, you know, you feel for him, you connect with him. And, and that's just kind of what the character is. Um, ultimately, he'll pay for his deeds and misdeeds. Um, but I mean, raping and pillaging, getting, you know, getting to that is never okay. But our characters in this series, that's just kind of the world they live in. Yeah, this you know, is what they do. It's just what happens when you sack a village. Um, and it's interesting to see what other characters uh, have done that or have been a party to that uh, sort of you know behavior. Certainly the Kingslayer, um, who gets referenced, by the way, by Theon in this chapter. He wants to impress um, Dagmar uh, by saying, I was this close to crossing swords with the Kingslayer. Um, but just, I mean, think of all the battles the Kingslayers had. Uh, you know, up to the Whispering Wood when Theon met him, and I'm sure he's done some terrible things, and yet he's he's a superstar. He's a hero. Right, but done in battle is differently, and I I feel like even though the Kingslayer, Jamie Lannister, is a Lannister, and he's one of the figureheads of their entire host, the things that the Mountain does, and the things that Tywin okays the Mountain and his men to do, which is equivalent to what the Greyjoys are doing here, it doesn't necessarily paint Jamie Lannister as this person, because... He is associated with it, but he does get the the negative paint on top of him for it because it's part of his people that are doing it, you know? 
So that's why there's so much hatred for this guy. And that's why there's so much hatred for Theon. But it's just interesting, just like you say, it really depends on how George contextualizes it for us. Because the person that we like most, the way it's put in the book, is going to be whatever he wanted us to do. So I feel like Theon is a character study, almost. You know, just like you were saying, how he'll eventually pay for his misdeeds. Mm -hmm. um, it's It's a good mechanic that he's done with this character, you know, because he's taken, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Theon's a huge character because, I mean, he gets a, a point of view chapter and most of our people don't. He, he, he's like the needle under the fingernail of Winterfell, um, you know, to, to be, to be, you know, gruesome there for a moment. But ultimately all, you know, these characters, I just thought of something as you were saying all that, um, you know, essentially these characters, they can't all be the one who sits the iron throne at the end. You know, some of them were, were never meant to be. Um, they're just kind of meant to interact with each other and cause things like this to happen. Um, you know, you can admire them for, uh, their, their deeds or their thoughts or how clever they are at times. I mean, Theon's plan for, you know, instance, which he talks to Dagmar about at, towards the end of the chapter, um, is quite smart. It's at least well put together. It seems very plausible. Um, obviously there's a time aspect to it where it's very important that they, that they move you know, when they do, it's not uh, a plan that could work in any season, but it is something that I think is really quite clever um, for him to do, which is basically to stage a siege on Torin Square um, to get aid sent there from Winterfell and then to take Winterfell. It's also in leagues with being a traitor, if you think about it. I mean, his knowledge or the knowledge that he possesses to do this is only because the, of the fact that he has lived in Winterfell for 10 years and he's utilizing that to his advantage here and he's saying well let's essentially lay siege to Torrent Square to draw Roderick Cassell out of Winterfell so that I can then go in and take Winterfell while Cassell is trying to defend Torrent Square it's a really low move to attack Winterfell. You know, he'd, he'd never be able to do it if Ned Stark were still alive. I mean, I think that's, or if that's, Rob were there, I don't think you'd be able to do it then either. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's not only is it a dick move, but it's especially a dick move because the people who would normally defend Winterfell are off actually fighting an honorable, you know, way for honorable right. reasons. But, so, but I will say this. If we're going back to some of the things that were brought up before and saying that these are the times that they live in, then from a tactical standpoint and from a trying to win it for your side standpoint, it's a very smart move. That's 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 the truth to all of this. We see it as a shit move because we know how much the Starks gave to Theon. And we know that Theon is a little bit sour about the fact that Ned was really never extremely kind and and, you know, smiley. And the same with Rob, because I don't I'm just that's not really how these people were <laughs> smiley. It's I'm so glad you said that, because that's brought up like five separate times yeah. in this chapter about how about how Dagmar, when he's telling him his story, when Theon's telling the story, Dagmar keeps smiling. And Theon has a flashback about how Dagmar would always smile when he'd shoot a good arrow or, you know, clash with a sword or something, how Dagmar would always smile and how when he found the direwolves or whatever, uh, Rob didn't smile at him. <laughs> it's, it's, and he actually got a talking to as if he were a chef in the kitchen. It's just like, wow, man, it's easy to... No, it was when he saved Bran. Oh, when he saved Bran. Yeah, which he should have gotten thanks for. Eh, 
He should have gotten smiled at, especially, too. Yeah, but he shot that arrow pretty close to Bran. If it was my little brother, <laughs> I'd, I'd have something to say, too. Personally, I'd be like, thank you so much for doing that, but that's my little brother, man. Be careful yeah, dude. Next time. You took that shot seriously. I mean, good shot. <laughs> yeah, great, great shot, but uh, a little too I think quick. we actually named an episode uh, ages ago called Great Shot Theon, way back in the day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, good, good, good for Theon. We do get some context in this chapter in defense of Theon not being a scared little boy. His, the person that he's been speaking to, this Dagmar that we've been speaking about, um, he's talking about his own bravery and about what he would do. And this whole conversation is all about pleasing this man. It's all about giving him a little extra pride because he knows just how prideful this person is because he used to be this legendary warrior underneath his father. And he keeps mm -hmm. saying, my father's best man should not be left to small work like this. Mm -hmm. You know, my father's best man should not have to just deal with these small things. My father's best man would march onto Torin Square. And my father's best man would listen to my advice that I'm saying right now. My father's best man would know more. He would know that I'm not a weakling. And he's like, I do. I was there when you raised your first sword. You're not a, a craven. Which was, to me, I felt like uncharacteristically soft conversation for these two people. Don't you? Mm, yeah. It's just like this guy is actually there was compliments. There was Theon compliments in this chapter, which to me is kind of almost unheard of. Like we've heard that he's good at laying uh, girls here and there. Like that's the thing that he does. But this was a direct compliment saying that I know you're great with the bow. I was there. I helped you pull back your first bowstring. Like I understand that you have the courage and you have the I wouldn't say confidence. It's almost like he is so determined to just please people that this man trusts Theon and his plan to get something done. So when he pitches this idea to him, you know, obviously Dagmer is a little bit hesitant because he knows just how fortified Torrent Square could be. And he knows that when Theon suggests that they build siege engines and they camp out just long enough for these people to see them, he knows that this is a bad idea because they would eventually be beaten because he knows that the men from the north are actually good warriors. But what he doesn't know is that this entire situation... Theon's been playing the game. It's not quite the Game of Thrones, but it is a game still, and he essentially wins right now. Yeah. Well, look, that's the point. And, you know, what you were saying before about um, Theon wanting it for, for, for his reasons. I mean, it's true that, that Theon isn't going for the Iron Throne, and maybe that, that is what sets him apart from uh, maybe Rob, but anybody in King's Landing as well. Any, a lot of these other characters, even Danny, um, who I hope we'll be hearing from shortly. But... You know, they're all in it for ruling a kingdom. Theon wants glory, but essentially he's, he's fine to just have his father's love, you know, which, which it seems like it's not that as big a prize as to be the ruler of Westeros. Um, Theon's doing all this work for a lot less than everybody else, I think. In addition to all that, he's super bitter that Asha has been taking Blackwind, and she is eventually will be taking a castle very soon. So he would like to match that. What better place to take than the place he knows the ins and out of, and the place where he knows the castle, and the place where he knows how their infantry is going to respond to a threat like this. So this is Theon's plan, and if you've seen the show, you know what happens next, but uh, I'm interested to see how this all plays out, because you know we could just get to a Theon chapter next, who has, I think, the second least amount of chapters in this book, and he could be at Winterfell, and it could be successful, or there could be problems. I'm interested to see how it all plays out. Yeah, for sure. And he sent his uncle off, or at least that's the plan, right? He said, my uncle can go up and down the coast, do what he wants, but... You know, from a strategic standpoint, that's great because it gets his uncle out of his way, allows him to do what he wants to do, 
and lets Theon and Clefjaw head towards Torrin Square and Winterfell and hopefully, from Theon's perspective, be able to take it. Well, I, I just hope that he isn't sending away people who would be able to help him in the, you know, in the crisis to come. Um, you know, if, if Theon's uncle, for instance, would have, you know, if he were a more agreeable uncle to begin with, because there's this thing about his God and Theon's just got his foot in the door and doesn't really care all that much about the God or his uncle. I mean, so I guess what my point is, is like, maybe if his uncle were at Winterfell when the, if he could somehow convince them to go along with his plan, um, Theon may be better protected, but he's shedding a lot of his protection by getting rid of all these guys and sending them to go, you know, play siege or whatever it is, uh, across the world or to go raid villages. Um, he's kind of going it alone, which is, which is actually stupid because he's got it. He's already got like one fifth the men that his sister does. Um, but he's getting rid of most of them on this diversion. And when he gets to Winterfell, he's going to be roughly pretty alone. You know, just the, the sheer, uh, way in which he's outnumbering himself is not uh strategically sound. It's what's necessary for Theon to get the jump on Winterfell though, you know, because he he understands that there's no way he's gonna beat Roger Cassell. Yeah, so like a small party would go unnoticed. Um right. that sort of thing. It's true. Well Eric, I'm interested to know this. Since this is a Theon chapter and it is time for owns, I know that you've given yourself a personal rule that some of the listeners have stood by, a critical thinking exercise, if you will, where Eric refuses to give the own of the chapter to the chapter's point of view character. Does it still count with Theon chapters? It it, it does, even though earlier I called him Theon, the the <laughs> the, the own Greyjoy. Um I actually look the own it was pretty clear to me uh as soon as it happened, which is the first sentence in the book um about Theon brushing the spittle from his face. Benfred Tallhart, ladies and gentlemen, um <laughs> spits on Theon and and in doing so, uh spits on all of the Iron Men, according to his uncle. Um so it was the spit heard round the world or felt against the face <laughs> <laughs> felt round the Iron Islands. He um, spit away his life. He spit away his life as yes, as Theon said. So I'm giving that to uh Benfred. Not to be a copycat. Not to be a cat that copies people, but Benford Tallhart also gets my own. He gets my own, though, for a different reason, and it's for this line right here. He's saying, you'll lose your head for this, Greyjoy. The crows will eat the jelly of your eyes. Uh-huh. Benford tried to spit again, but only managed a little blood. The others bugger your wet god. <laughs> Which, obviously, I think we can ascertain what bugger means in this situation. That would be a painful thing to do to a god, but if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be the others, right? It's true, because they just don't give a shit. Then my own will have to go, by default, to Theon Greyjoy. Oh, thank you, Mike. And not <laughs> only right. do you never follow my rules, but you also <laughs> you, you also uh, you know tend to give Theon the, the occasional reward, so yes. that's great. So I'll set it up as thus. Uh Mr. Clefjaw says, You set us a battle we cannot hope to win, Theon. This Torrens Square will never fall. To which Theon says, Well, he smiles, which is a uh, you know, running theme throughout this chapter. And then replies, It's not Torrens Square I mean to take. Ba-ba-bom. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> Winter is coming. You could bet Dagmar smiled at that. You can bet he did. Or he was like, all right, well, explain it to me in detail then. He was about to, but then Arya jumped in the way. 
Yeah, so we do have Aria coming up next week, which is something to look forward to. There are uh, places and ways you could send our own, your owns for Aria. Some of you already have ahead of time, which is, I think it's good. It's I want to say punctual, but it's even before punctual. So whatever su- prefix would go before that to make it's it proactive. punctual. There you go, proactive, because Monday Aria will be joining us, but not today. As always, you can contact us. Send us your owns every week. Uh, we're doing these chapters three times a week. You can send us your owns uh, in multiple formats, either by Twitter or by email. We'll give you all those addresses uh, in just a moment and on Facebook. Uh, so first up from Twitter, let's read a few of these owns for this Theon chapter. How's that? The owns. Right. This comes from Catherine Kelly, who says, My own goes to Rob for not giving Theon the smile he always wanted. <laughs> hashtag poor Theon. Hashtag why Rob. Here's one that's close to my heart because I visited a veterinarian very – uh very recently, Jess Fellows tweets to us and says, four hour drive to hashtag BVN and v- <laughs> BVNA. I learned how to read today. Uh, <laughs> four hour drive to hashtag BVNA Congress for work means four straight hours of goo. Hashtag wet nurse or vet nurse. Oh, God. None of us can talk. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. For wet the nurse is I better. Can, yeah, I'm having trouble talking today. Yeah, well, thank you, Jess, for sending that. Of course, that's from, uh, an own for. For us, our own for her, for definitely, you know, listening to us. Uh, we got another own just like that, actually. Brittany Black says, definitely listen to Game of Owns on the way to and back from buying Take the Black Stout. Seemed fitting and made me all the more excited. And another tweet here from Mr. John Webster, who says, notice the email I sent to you is obscenely long, slightly embarrassed. Feel free to whittle that down to just the own. Smiley face, John, guess what? We're not going to whittle anything down. All right, here we go. Uh, I wanted to thank you guys for the kind words regarding my own on Wednesday's show. I've been listening to you since you merged with Wick.net or WinnerIsComing.net uh, right before season three. Though I took the time to go back and read a Game of Thrones and listen to your book discussions when you started with The Clash of Kings a couple months back. I recently caught up and it's nice to be in sync with you guys as you finished up the novel. I've enjoyed your discussions of both the show and the books immensely. I haven't always agreed with your assessments of certain events, characters, etc., but your enthusiasm for the story is undeniable, and you've been a joy to listen to ever since I stumbled upon this excellent show. I wanted especially to take my head off to you guys for doing the Season 1 commentaries this past year. I had a blast revisiting the show with a fresh perspective, and it felt like watching the show with friends, even though I obviously don't know you guys. I hope you intend to do that again for season two and so on, because in my opinion, you all did a great job with it. That's good to hear. Also, it's a point that's been made by many others a thousand times over. I wanted to say well done to Micah and Selena for not spoiling Zach and Eric on the books. Ooh. It makes for a great dynamic on the show, and I love hearing input from both kinds of readers. This is my second time through the novels, though sometimes I feel a bit blind myself, since George put so much into these books that hasn't been able to make it onto the show. So even for the initiated, like me, I don't always remember what lies ahead. My own for this particular chapter belongs to one Lord Eddard Stark. This could extend throughout the entire story, but I think particularly in this chapter it's relevant. Though Theon tries his best to brashly discard his memory and the teachings of the Lord of Winterfell, it's obvious that the man continues to haunt him. Here are several such passages. Quote, he could imagine what Eddard Stark would have said. End quote. Quote, he gave me more smiles than my father and Eddard Stark together. End quote. Quote, I am no Stark. Lord Eddard sold to that. End quote. Even though he doesn't have that accent, just accept it. 
Yep. Uh, to be <laughs> sure, many of these are dismissive comments, but nonetheless, Theon's thoughts are constantly in the shadow of his deceased guardian. His distaste with how the battle unfolded is evidence of that, and it's not just with Theon that we see this. Characters all throughout the series so often reflect back on the deeds of the man, as well as his strict moral code. For a series with so many dead characters, this is not a common thing. Ned left a mark on all those who knew him, even his enemies. One final note, I just want to let Eric know that despite my job, my fun job, oh, jab, I'm sorry, we we really all can't read tonight. We can't. Uh, at Theon, in my last email, there's a really great own for him waiting in the wings. Might take a while, but I'm all set to give it to him when we get there. Oh. Sorry for the length, guys. I'm not very good at brief comments, especially when it comes to stories I love so much. I'll seriously go on for ten pages about The Lord of the Rings, if given the opportunity. <laughs> well, Don't thank you, John. Face. <laughs> yeah, that was a very great email. Dude, that's great. I will not be taking you up on your Lord of the Rings discussion, but you gave us kind of a Lord of the Rings discussion about goo, and we could not be happier. <laughs> well, what he said about Lord Edward Stark is so true, and it's great to hear one of the listeners write that in, because, you know, he is, he stands out, he resonates throughout the series, and every person that he's touched it seems that he's touched positively, even the people that, you know, swear to fight him and that are against him and that controlled his death. I mean, Lord Eddard Stark is a man's man, and he made his impression on the earth. Yeah. I mean, what would Eddard do? Everybody's wondering. All right. Well, uh, thanks, John, for that email. We also have another email here from Catherine. I've done it. I've finally done it. I, Catherine, have finally officially caught up with Game of Bones. After beginning my listening with episode one, partway through season three, and after over 150 episodes, two seasons, and one and a half books, I am finally caught up and can now have a normal listening schedule. I've followed along for all the chapter by chapters, and y'all's enthusiasm and excitement over the series really got me involved with the show book series. I'm so excited to finally be able to send in my owns for chapters y'all are currently reading, not ones that were read months before. You'll be hearing from me more often. Stay gooey, Catherine. Stay gooey, Catherine. Stay gooey. Oh my gosh, guys, how cool is that? That's very cool. It's nice to see people dedicated to ingesting the content as it was made. Yes. Content ingestion. The progress that we've made going through the seasons of the show, one and a half books, um, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy looking back and seeing how much we really did uh, talk about Game of Thrones because it, it doesn't feel old or it doesn't feel like it's going to get bland or boring anytime soon. You know, we're experiencing the books. I am for the first time. And uh, I'm really excited to be doing this with you guys. That's true. I'm excited to do it as well. And it's exciting to see Catherine, you know, so involved and to be so dedicated to enjoying this. And, you know, we offer this up as extra content to those of you that love the books and that love the show and, you know, submitting your owns and being active in the community. That's part of it. You know, obviously not even a, a large percentage whatsoever uh, is active in the community and writes in with Twitter. And that's fine. There's a whole lot of passive listeners out there we never hear from. But if you're one of those people and you're interested in getting in touch and getting your voice heard and letting us know how you feel about the series yourself, what she did, what John did, there is a method to all of this madness. And luckily, our friend Eric Skoll here has the keys to those successes. Well, both John and Catherine have said that they would be writing to us. We look very forward to receiving those uh, communiques. And for you, the listener, if you want to add your owns to each of our uh, discussions in advance, you can do so multiple ways. Uh, the first way is by Twitter. 
We are at twitter.com slash game of owns. You can just mm-hmm. at game of owns in your tweet and we will see it. It can be an own about the chapters that we're reading or just a regular own, like driving in the car for six hours, listening to goo. I'm cool. Yay. Vet nurses. Yay. That works as well. Um, also you can email us a longer own, if you will, just like John Webster did. Uh, with multiple phrases and quotes from multiple passages in the series. You can email us at contact at gameofowns.com, and we do read that. We check that fairly regularly. And that's just, you know, another way to contact us via email. Um, on Facebook, you can scroll on our wall. We are at facebook.com slash gameofowns, and you can see uh, the different art that we pick for each episode when we post and uh, different images that we come across in the fandom will also go on the wall. So it's kind of a fun time and hang out and comment and that sort of thing. And another way you can give us your feedback is by heading on over to iTunes and leaving us a rate and review, just like Tom Stizo did, uh, who mm-hmm. says, I look forward to each and every episode as much as I look forward to reading the next chapter or watching the next episode. It's a trifecta of entertainment. I never thought a podcast could replace MuggleCast while at work, commuting, or just laying around. The earbuds are in. So thank you, Tom, um, whose title of his review says, You guys owned my iPod. So uh, appreciate that, Tom. And uh, we are now in the month of October, even though we've been there for a couple (laughs) of episodes. I have not been on. So nothing less than five stars is acceptable. When uh, you review this. this podcast, act now. <laughs> limited time, limited time only. In which <laughs> five, nothing less than five stars is accepted. And we can't even begin to give it up enough for the brilliant work by George R. R. Martin. You know, this is another one of those chapters that we really get to see the legs this story has. We get to see different characters, even hated characters in a way, such as Theon Greyjoy, really have his own kind of personal retribution. So follow along. There's a lot of cool stuff to come. So guys, uh, I've really enjoyed uh, being back here on the podcast uh, for this Friday episode. I am, however, looking forward to the weekend, getting caught up back in the swing of things here and uh, getting some sleep as well. And remember, kids, Monday is coming. I'm Zach Lewick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mike Atanamo. And remember, what is dead may never fly. I'm Eric Skull. Oh, hey, guys, by the way, uh, I got some camel balls. <laughs> <laughs>